Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, we wondered in the Monday morning podcast whether Governor Mike DeWine would have something to say about restaurants and bars and the way people behaved, and he sure did. We'll be talking about that on this Tuesday morning version of the This Week in the CLE podcast, which we're recording on Monday afternoon because I have to take my dog to the vet Tuesday morning. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn here with colleagues Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, and Chris Wernowski. And usually, guys, I ask you a question that's full of the morning kind of optimism. It's late afternoon. You all worn out and tired? (laughs) I was telling my colleagues here, re-entry is hard since I was gone last week. It's like I was on the phone all day long, I think. Well, the thing that's creeping me out about the word re-entry is it's now being used for returning to offices. You know, for years, it's been re-entry from prison, and now (laughs) it's going back to the office. It's not a good... It makes me think of the atmosphere, like the astronauts re-entry. This is just a virtual re-entry. Well, that begs the question, is is home now the prison or is the workplace? Which which is it? Okay. Home confinement. (laughs) House arrest. All right. On, On to the questions of the day. How many restaurants broke the coronavirus safety rules when they reopened over the weekend? We talked about this on the Monday morning podcast, the photos that we saw coming on social media, which it sounds like they might have made it look worse than it actually was with additional reporting. But Laura Johnston, we actually can quantify a little bit of this. What what can we say? Well, we can put a number on the complaints that boards of health have gotten. I don't think we'll ever know exactly how many were misbehaving, but we're looking at just a dozen in the three big cities, Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Uh, the Cuyahoga County Board of Health received four complaints over the weekend. They haven't issued any warnings yet. So it's not just the Lago East Bank that we were talking about on Monday morning. Uh, Columbus's public health department issued eight warning letters over the weekend. And this, remember, is a nice warm spring evenings. Um, Standard Hall and Park Street Cantina. And then in Cincinnati, establishments like the Blind Pig and Rosedale and Over the Rhine also got shamed. But, you know, when to put that into perspective, a whole lot of places did open yes. and, and it, they seemed to work very hard to adhere to the rules. We published a story Monday about what Zach Brule is doing. He didn't open yet because he's really going to the extra degree to make sure people are safe. So so it's not it's not the ugly, ugly picture that it originally sounded. Although the photos of the places where people were all credited together, any of us that are trying to avoid the coronavirus, those were scary photos, right? Absolutely. And I do not want to go there. I mean, DeWine keeps saying um, if if you can't operate a safe business, people will not want to go. But I'm not sure these people that were there were caring about safety. They were just like, I am finally out of the house. I mean, it looked like a college party scene. Well, we have been pent up a long time. It's this week in the CLE. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine doing to stop people from breaking the rules at bars and restaurants? We saw some misbehavior at the bars and restaurants over the weekend. People crowding together, not wearing masks. Some restaurants arguing that it shouldn't be their responsibility to correct the bad behavior of diners. 
Jane Cahoon, Mike DeWine had a lot to talk about regarding this. Yeah, he sure did. He he didn't mess around. He said these businesses have an obligation to control the environment, and if they can't do that, they should make the wise judgment not to not to open. They're going to marshal all these law enforcement forces from across the state and in local communities to conduct these compliance checks and and refer people for prosecution. And the violators could lose their liquor licenses. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's the hammer. You, if you don't do what you're supposed to, you could lose your liquor license. DeWine did kind of open up by saying, I've said from the start, we're new territory and we need people to do the social distance. We need people to do the masks because that's what stops the virus from spreading. And he, he's, he, I don't want to say he looked angry, but he, he looked firm and resolute. Like, okay, this is not going to stand. We will fix this. This is Laura Johnston. And do you feel like he was lecturing a little bit? Like it was the <laughs> stern, stern enforcer face. Well, <laughs> you know, it was interesting because he read you know, word for word from the health department order. At first, we were a little confused because we hadn't seen this in that um, handout where they had all the the mandatory rules. But he said very clearly that if you're in a bar or restaurant and you you have to be seated when you're when you're dining or or drinking. But yeah, but we didn't know that. I mean, yeah. we, we cover <laughs> we cover every inch of this thing. They and didn't when, put it in the, was, in the. Well, uh, the the list of uh, the responsible restart Ohio right. list of rules. So if I'm a restaurant and I'm trying to follow the rules and I go to restart Ohio and I don't see the thing that says I can only serve people who are seated, how is that my fault? I mean, that, that seemed like that was a goof by the people yeah. putting together the site. It was, it in, was in the order, in the health department order. That yeah, but who's reading those? <laughs> well, it's, well, it's in force. I mean, this is Chris Vernansky. If I was a business, I would be reading the whole thing. I mean, I would want to know. And, you know, to, to, to talk about his demeanor, I think he he's about as upset as he lets himself be upset. He's sort of like, you know, Wally and the Beeves dad, you know, always. <laughs> but, you know, I, we talked earlier about what some restaurants are doing. And it seems to me like it would behoove you as a business owner to cater to maybe the majority of people who are still concerned about going out as opposed to the minority who are eager to get out there, you know? So you would want to do what Zach Brule is doing, which is comfort the people who still make up the majority of Ohioans who are still kind of hesitant about going out. And, but, and go but, ahead. but you do, it did seem like there was a little bit of an evolution in what Mike DeWine did today up until now. He's called on our better angels. I'm ca- counting on Ohio to do the right thing. They've how many times has Amy Acton thanked us for social distancing, right? So, so it didn't work because there were people who misbehaved and endangered a whole lot of people around them. And so today, you get the guy saying, as, as you point out, about as upset as you ever see him get, saying, "We're gonna, you're gonna do this," and taking away somebody's liquor license, basically shuts them down. They can't make money if they're not selling the liquor. Well, but I mean, are, I mean, you have to understand, they're probably going to be able to appeal it and there will be legal challenges to this and everything. So I think we're at, we're really at the beginning of testing, you know, the, the limits of what both sides of this issue can, can do. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds. It's just, you know, it's a shame that we had to get to this point so quickly. Okay, it's this week in the CLE.
Not every restaurant is breaking the coronavirus rules in Ohio. What are the responsible owners doing? We had a story about Zach Brule really going the extra mile to make sure that his diners are safe. We've talked to a few others about this. Laura Johnston, what are they doing to keep people safe? Well, yeah, like you said, Chef Brule has been meeting with the Cleveland Clinic experts to craft policies for when he reopens his restaurants on Friday. All customers as well as staff will have their temperatures taken, he said. The only time customers can take off their mask is while they're seated at the table. Um, down the street from some of his restaurants is the Hofbrae House on Chester Avenue. It's going to open on Friday with a reservation-only policy. Uh, customers are required to wear masks at all times, except when they're seated. That means when they walk in and walk out and their staff is going to have their temperature taken um, at home or with disposable thermometers at work. And they're going to actually dedicate one person as the COVID-19 safety patrol to make sure everybody's following the rules and everything is disinfected as it's supposed to be. But the Hofbrau house, that's like long lines of tables. How do you keep social distancing when you have just long tables? Right. They are removing some of those tables. And yeah, they have a giant beer garden. Um, so they'll try and, and, you know, those communal tables, we've talked about this before at places like, um, now I'm blanking on it, but and down the street from our office, that masthead where that the communal tables was the new trend. You know, you could sit with other people and now it's going to be like your party, your table, and there's going to be space. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Will car buying habits change if people keep working from home after the coronavirus pandemic? This is a fascinating topic to talk about because we could be at one of those, those major change moments, benchmark moments in America where, where things evolve. If you're working from home, you don't need two cars to commute. Does that mean you become single car? Does that mean you get fun cars? Chris Ronowski, we sent a reporter out to talk to dealers about what they're seeing, and we got all sorts of interesting information back. Right. One of those reporters was Laura Johnston, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'll chime uh, in. Go ahead. Right. So we've already noticed that people have, have already uh, stopped buying cars. The uh, number of cars that have been sold has dropped dramatically in April. and but there has been an unusual tick, uptick in first-time car drivers, uh, car buyers, who uh, are buying cars for the first time because they're nervous about taking ride shares and, and public transit to get to work. So um, That's other- really interesting, right? Because right. You, that one of the early things was people were getting this in taxi cabs in other countries, and this could spell doom for shared spaces and cars, at least until this virus runs its course, which could be a couple of years. So the dealers are actually hearing from people that say, yeah, I was relying on Uber and Lyft and I'm not doing that anymore. I need a car. And, and yeah. And so, and, but the other issue is that, you know, when the economy, you know, when there's shakiness in the economy, people hold, usually hold off from buying cars. So, so even though it, when car sales go down, that means the, the, you know, there's more inventory, but you know, they, and, and they have a surplus of cars. So then the price goes down. So, you know, back in the recession, when this happened, when gas prices shot up, you know, nobody was buying SUVs and everybody started going into purchasing things like uh, hybrids and, and, and high gas mile, miles per gallon cars. So, you know, it's interesting to watch what happens with car sales when the economy, because like right now would be a great time to have an SUV because gas prices are way down. Right. But, you know, who knows what happens when, you know, when the gas prices go up and everybody's suddenly holding on to all these SUVs that are inefficient and, you know, are 
causing our lake levels to probably rise. <laughs> this is Laura Johnston. Yeah, in April, it was the first time ever that trucks and SUV sales outsold cars, dealers said. And no one's going in and asking about electric vehicles anymore. They're just, they want what they want. The one trend that they've seen is that people might be opting for cheaper cars. They don't need a luxury car for a long commute. They just need to get around town. So we'll see if that continues, if people are budget conscious and want to choose something that's very practical. I know my next door neighbors actually took their insurance off one of their cars because they're both working from home. The kids don't have anywhere to go and they just don't need to pay that right now. But so so oh, let me let me ask this. The dealers did say they don't believe we'll be, go back to being a single car household nation again. I was of the generation that that went from single car households to two car households. We've had a great time talking about when that happened in my family, but the dealers don't see us going back. Is that wishful thinking or is that realistic? Now that sounds like somebody trying to sell you a car. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Why would I mean, say, oh, you don't need a car. Right. I mean, that's like, you know, if you're in an industry, you're not going to say, hey, we're, we're, boned. I mean, they're there. I mean, you know, but it, it is fascinating. I mean, we through this, you know, sat, you know, we've all sort of had to learn some hard lessons about sacrifice and things like that. And and this might be one of those things that goes by the wayside. I it, It'll be fascinating to see what happens with this after the economy. I mean, I can see people buying cheaper cars now because they don't want to be on the hook for a, a you know, like a car note. Um, you know, or a fun car, maybe right. you get a fun car because you don't need it for commuting. When I put this question out on the text messaging thing I do, uh, I heard from people saying single cars won't work because of kids today, that the kids all have so many activities that you need more than one car to get them there. Laura, does that resonate with you? It does. There's definitely been times where it's like, you take them to hockey, I'll get them here. But during this pandemic, and after, we don't know when kids are going to be able to play sports again. So for the near future, our kids have nowhere to go. Huh. So, so it's gonna, it, this could be a moment where everything we thought we knew about car buying changes. I mean, my wife and I, we have two cars. We're driving them each maybe once a week. So, okay, it's this week in the CLE. Is Northeast Ohio's United States Attorney Justin Herdman leaving? Feels like this guy just got here, Chris Warnowski, and now it looks like we won't have them around much longer. Right. It, 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 Eric Isaac reported today on the back of a, a national story that came out that Herdman is, is probably going to be leaving Northeast Ohio, uh, pending the approval of, you know, in Congress <laughs> to take over in D.C. at a position that has recently uh, Trump is shifting the, the D.C. U.S. attorney over to be uh, the acting head of the DEA. Why would Justin Herdman, who is a political appointee, leave six months before a November election in which the president could be ousted and he'd be out of a position? He's a longtime Northeast Ohio guy. He has a house here. So if he stayed and, say, Trump lost and another president appointed somebody, it would take probably six months to a year for him to to be out. So that's a little bit of job stability in the town where he lives now. He leaves, he goes to D.C., and six months he could be out of a job. Well, there will be people that tell you that in these jobs there isn't a lot of stability because at the, you know, even if he stayed here, he would be at the mercy of an incoming president should, you know, the 
outcome of the November election not be in Trump's favor. So, but, he, but but the difference is he's known here, so he could go to a Jones Day like Steve Dettelbach, his predecessor, did. Or there there are law firms that I that would be delighted to have Justin Herdman on their staff. Nobody you knows mean like, him. You mean like his former law firm of Jones Day, where yeah. he also worked? Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I again, I, I think what plays in his favor in this is is that he did he did have the support of both Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown. You know, Portman and Brown have actually come to an agreement on, on you know, a lot of judicial appointments and, and things like that. And which isn't, you know, I mean, it's, it's not rare, but it's also, you know, in, when, in these periods of increasing bipartisanship, it's, it's also, you know, sort of nice to see that even though, you know, Justin Herdman hews toward the conservative side of things, you know, that he still has the support of somebody so democratic like Sherrod Brown. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting move in that Herdman does not seem to fit the mold of a lot of the judicial appointments that have occurred under this administration. So, you know, but he's young, he's up and coming and, you know, it's not, it's not a judicial appointment. It's a well, yeah, I know that, but I, I, you know, but I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these nominations, I mean, there's some of them are seen a little more calculated and political. And, and this seems more, more or less like they're, they're putting somebody who's done a pretty good job into a higher profile position. And, and he's look, we should say he's been well-regarded. He's, he's followed the justice department's edict on going after violent crime. He, he hasn't had many missteps early on. He disbanded a unit that his predecessor put together that caught some criticism in social justice circles. But overall, wouldn't you say he's, Pretty He's done okay. I, I think, you know, and we haven't explored this yet, but, you know, we're still under a a directive consent decree that was reached between the city of Cleveland and, and the Justice Department related to police reform. And we're coming toward the end of that. And we don't know what that means for this, because if if this expires and, it, you know, we're, we're hitting, I think, the five year mark pretty soon. And and so if, if that ends and, and the next person, his predecessor who comes in after him, doesn't have the will to follow through with this, you know, you know, I, I mean, a judge could say that yeah, we have a judge. Do, but, it's but, not the judge wouldn't. The judge has been adamant about making this thing move along. I think it would be hard for a U.S. attorney to pull the plug on it, but it is almost done. They only have to satisfy a few more requirements. And I think they've. But there, I mean, but there have been instances where judges have had to extend it beyond the five years or whatever the agreed amount of reform time is, is outlined in the agreement. So, I mean, yes, a judge will decide that. But, you know, if you if you appoint somebody to a position that has a contrary idea to that, it makes it, you know, it's going to be another battle, an, an unnecessary battle that we might have, you know, that that might have to be fought. So, OK, you're listening to this week in the CLE. How can people in greater Cleveland salute all of the high school graduates who have lost so much to the coronavirus epidemic? No proms, no big crowds for graduation. This really is the class that has been hammered. They don't have the memories. So what are we doing, Laura Johnston, to give them something of an appreciation? We have created a region-wide digital high school yearbook, and we want the help of everybody who reads Cleveland.com. You can sign the yearbook online with a message of congratulations or well wishes or whatever you want to say, uh, advice to these 17 and 18 year olds. So 
we want people to fill them out and let people know that they're appreciated and we wish them well. And we do hope that we'll be able to put this together as some sort of print section that's a commemorative section if we get enough participation. So go to cleveland.com and fill it out and say some well wishes to the graduates of 2020. They have till May 31st to get that done. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. What is the latest Metro Health projection on how the coronavirus will trend as we move into a more open Ohio? Metro Health was one of the early projections that that put a put a less fevered, I guess, approach on what we could expect. They, they looked ahead and said we would not have the huge spikes that overwhelm hospitals. We would have a series of out, outbreaks and smaller spikes. Uh, but now that Ohio is reopening, they put out a new projection. Laura, what does it show? They do show another spike of a peak about 900 new cases per day by the end of May. That compares to about 500 new cases right now. But they don't think that number will overwhelm hospitals. And instead of that bell curve, which we originally saw back in March, they're still predicting a kind of mountain range looking peak where it goes up and you see little outbreaks from a jail or a nursing home, but nothing they believe the health system can't handle. Did they look at the social media photos of Ohio restaurants <laughs> before they made that projection? I doubt it. I believe this is in the works because this all depends on social distancing. Uh, Metro Health models said the person to person contact had been reduced 65 to 80% over the last few months. And now they're projecting that has gone down to 35 to 50%. But that still means, you know, half as much social engagement as we had in January or February. And when you you look at pictures like that and you talk about pools reopening, you got to think about that. Yeah. I mean, this is all based on people doing the right thing. And and as the weather gets warmer and the liquor flows, it seems like fewer people are doing the right thing. So it'll be interesting to see if they have to reformulate that projection based on the behavior of Ohioans as everything reopens. Yeah, and we'll have to keep watching the state numbers come out. Remember, this has a long incubation period, so it could be two weeks from now that we start to see a rise. So yeah. it's it's once you see the rise, it's a little late to react to it. Yeah, we're going to have to watch those numbers closely because things could start to get out of hand. It's this week in the CLE. Okay, Jane, so the governor did address today that he will be talking about the minority coronavirus task force, about the disparate effect of the virus on minority communities. But it's going to take him until Thursday to tell yeah, us what he he's said, thinking? Yeah, he said Thursday. He, he made a point of mentioning it, but he said he was going to go into a lot more detail on Thursday. Is that because he's not going to have another briefing before Thursday? Oh, I don't know about that. I I just think that he's weighing all of the recommendations and getting all the ducks in a row. I, that's my speculation. Okay. Well, that's something to look forward to. He seems like he's running out of things to say. It was interesting <laughs> that John Houston did kind of get up and make some pointed remarks today, too, to get people to think about social responsibility. Today, yeah. was, today was kind of the public officials lecturing Ohio Day. It was a, a different kind of thing. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to everybody for listening this week in the CLE. We'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs>